It's such a great joy to praise and thank our God this morning. My name is Godly James, and I serve at this church on staff, and I am the Redeemer Kids Coordinator. It's a great joy to serve in this church for the last three years. This day, three years back, in 2013, God brought me here first, and then my family. It's been three years, and God has been so amazing, and he has fulfilled his promises in our lives. And we are so thankful to all of you for praying for us. This morning, I would like to ask a question. And the question is this. How big is your God? Or how great is your God? How would we answer that question? But the truth is, we are all guilty of shrinking our great God in our hearts from time to time. We often we miss the beauty of our God and we become self-sufficient. Hence this morning, we will see from the lens of Psalm 147, how great and mighty is our God and how should we respond to him. So I have a main point this morning. And the main point is this. To see and know God's greatness causes us to praise Him with fear, trust, and humility. To see and know God's greatness causes us to praise Him with fear, trust, and humility. As we come into the psalm, we see that the psalmist begins the psalm by asking us to praise God. And he ends the psalm with the same call to praise God. And God is worthy of praises and praising this God is good and it's also delightful. It is a fitting response to this great God. But, but why does the psalmist call us out to praise his God? And that brings us to my first point. I have just two points this morning. Firstly, knowing and seeing the greatness of God. And the second one, praising him with fear, trust, and humility. And the first point. We will see three main characters, three, three grand works of God from this psalm. The psalmist in verse 5 says, Great is our Lord and he is abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The psalmist knows his God is great. He is powerful. His wisdom is beyond any measure. And now in the rest of the psalm, he gives us evidences about the greatness, the power, and that beautiful wisdom of our God. He's like a character witness in a trial, giving evidences to prove one's innocence. And we will see three great truths about God's greatness this morning. The first one, the psalmist says his God is sovereign and he provides for his creation. Come to verse 4. It says, He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. God who creates the stars knows correctly how many are out there. Do, do we know the number of stars out in the night sky? Can we see it all with our eyes? We cannot do it ever. 
But God who created them knows the exact number and he calls them by their names. He knows their names. He's a creator God. He's very personal. Come to verses 8 and 9. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rains for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives beasts their food and the young ravens that cry. God controls every systems of this nature. He causes the clouds to be formed, to have rain fall on this earth, to make the grass grow. He gives life to the beasts. He feeds the beasts. He gives life to the birds. He feeds the he he feeds the birds. Sorry. He even hears the cry of young ravens when they cry. We see that ravens are a kind of birds who actually abandon their young ones. But see the greatness of our Lord. The one who gives life to these young ravens is the same one who hears their cries. Come to verses 15, and 15 to 18. God created the universe by the power of his word. He just doesn't leave his creation to function on its own. He controls in nature by his word, by sending out his word, and the word does the thing God has intended to do in this world. He's the one who sends snow, the frost, the ice. Cold conditions are quite difficult to go through, right? I know some of you have come from places that are extremely cold. I come from, come from a place where winters get really bad. And there are days when there is fog in the morning for hours. And, uh, and, and we just desire to see a few trickles of sunlight. It's hard during those months. But when the first rays of sun comes, it's amazing. We would love to go out and get that warmth from the sun. The God who sends snow, ice and frost by his word, sends his word and melts them. He's a great God. Now one may explain these things today scientifically, and that's okay, but what needs to be understood and believed is that the ultimate cause of all these things is God. He creates, He sustains, He controls everything in this universe. And that brings us to the second thing about God. This God is also a covenant-keeping, merciful God. He's a faithful, covenant-keeping God. See verses 2-3. to The Lord builds up Jerusalem, he gathers the outcasts of Israel. God is the builder of the city. He built the city from the scratch. He, he continuously builds it. He rebuilds it. So that his people can live in that city safely. But God's people disobeyed him. Went away from him. They had to be taken off the land. They became outcasts. They were taken to a foreign land. But God wasn't done with them. He brought his people back just as he promised and gave them strength and favor to start rebuilding the city again. He also knows the situation of their hearts. He heals the brokenhearted. He mends their hearts. He knows they are discouraged. They are wounded. They are hurt. And God knows their hearts. He mends it. He heals it. This God is a merciful God. He lives those who are humble. At the same time, he also cast the wicked to the ground. He destroyed the nations who came and attacked his people. But he also destroyed the ones among his people who disobeyed him. 
Come to verses 13 to 14. For he strengthens the bars of your gate. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. God is the one who builds. God is the one who takes them away when they disobey. God is the one who brings them back. God is the one who provides for them again. He gives peace to them. He blesses them so they can stay and live in that city. And, and, and worship God. He feeds them with the finest food. The God who feeds the beast, the God who feeds the young ravens, He even feeds His people with the finest food. And that is the greatness of our God. He is their God. The personal pronoun our is used four times in this psalm. Our God. Praise our God. He is their God. And He continuously sustains them. But the God of Israel is also a God who reveals His word to them. Come to verses 19 to 20. He declares His word to Jacob, His statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know His rules. God created the universe. He created the human beings. The climax of His creation. He gave them His word. But man sinned against God by disobeying and rejecting His word. But God shows favor to Israel, His covenant people, by revealing Himself to His people. He gave them the law and made them distinct and unique from other people. We see in Romans 3 verse 2, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. And God also entrusted His people to proclaim the word of God to other nations so that the other nations come to know this Yahweh God. This is purely God's grace and favor to his people, Israel. If God chose to reveal his word to the people of Israel, how much more has he revealed himself to us? God has graciously revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ, in his word. The word word which God sends out to the earth The word declared to Jacob is Jesus Christ. John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was word, the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen the glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Come to Hebrews verse 1 to 1. Says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The word which God revealed to his people is Jesus Christ. And God has revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus. And that is the greatness of God. Just like every single human being, On the face of this earth, we have all sinned against the holy God by disobeying Him and are destined to be condemned and punished to eternal hellfire. But God in His mercy sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this world to die on the cross for our sins in our place. He suffered and died for us and rose upon the third day again to life, to give us new life and hope of eternal life. Christ has restored us back to God. He was broken to heal our brokenness. He was wounded to bind our wounds. By the grace of God, we have repented of our sins and put faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. 
If you are here for the first time and haven't put your faith in this Lord, in this great Jesus, we are so glad you are here. I plead with you to repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ for forgiveness of your sins and for eternal life. God is graciously offering you His own Son, Christ, for you. And that is the amazing greatness of our Lord. A good question to ask those who have already put their faith in Jesus is, do we really understand how big is our God? And are we at wonder, thrilled, and at awe every time we think, hear, read about God and see God's wonderful deeds? Or have we lost the excitement? Is coming to church a normal thing for us anymore? Are you excited to be here this morning? We need to be reminded of the gospel to see how great is our Lord and what a great deed He has done for us. Is God of the Bible big for you when you go through sufferings? Who is God to you when you lose the job you loved so much that was paying all your expenses? Or when your employers file a false case against you? Who is God to you? Or when you are falsely accused because of your faith? Who is God to you? Or as a single parent, you are struggling with your life, your job, taking care of your kids. Who is God to you? If God can know the stars in the sky so well, how much more does He know us? He holds us in His arms. How can we truly know this God and see how great He is? I'll give you some practical ways to know God more. First, read the Bible prayerfully. That is the best way you can know God. Read the Bible. God has revealed Himself to us through His written Word. Do you know your Bible well to make your own list about God just as a psalmist? The psalmist has a long list of things he can say about God. He's, he's in awe of this God. Do you know your Bible well to make a list of your own? The second way to come to church and listen to good sermons. You are here this morning. You come every Friday. We are blessed to hear good sermons. Faithful men preaching faithful sermons. Or you can go to other sources and hear God's word. But I would love to ask you a question. Are you hearing to reliable, faithful men speaking online? Whom do you listen to? Which books are you reading? Which, which sites are you browsing to know about God, to, to, to learn the word. If you're having issues with that, please come to our elders. Please come to us. We are willing to help you. The third way, share and discuss what you learn about God. Don't keep it to yourself. Speak about it to others. Call, call a friend of yours. Call a fellow member and say, this is what I was reading from God's word this morning. I want to share that with you. Share it. Or read the Bible with someone and discuss it together, learn together. Discipleship is an amazing way to know God better. A true Christian knows his or her God is big and is thrilled about it. We need to know our God. We need to know the greatness of our God. This week, me and my wife, we, we were able to see the greatness of our God in a, in a in a good way. 
God blessed us with a baby six months back. We prayed for a baby for almost a year. God blesses the baby. We're so happy. We are so thankful. He's growing well. And one fine evening, a few days back, I just put him on the bed, and my wife Merlin was doing some work, and I also just went to do some work. And I had not realized that my baby is, is able to roll over. And I just didn't think that he's active. He can do things that I, I just can't imagine. And all of a sudden, my, my wife screamed at me and said, God, look at the baby. And I looked back and this guy is at the edge of the bed smiling. <laughs> he just doesn't have any idea what, what's going to happen to him. And, our, and the height of a bed is quite, quite, quite high. And if something would have happened... I just can't imagine what's going to happen. But God was so gracious to us. We could see how great is our God. He was reminding us that God who gives life, He sustains life. And He was reminding us that the God who gives life is also controlling everything. He's controlling every growth of His body. He's, he's taking care of Him so well. We were able to see the greatness of God in ways that we never imagined. And that brought us more closer to God and to trust in Him. And that brings us to the second point this morning. What is our response to this great God? And the response should be, we had to praise Him with fear, trust and humility. The psalmist says how we should be responding to such a great God who is powerful, who is, whose wisdom is beyond measure, he speaks of both the action that we should be doing and the attitude with which we should be doing this action. So let's, let's see what is the action the psalmist is asking us to do. The action is to praise God, to give Him thanks. The psalmist mentions two actions in this psalm. See the call of praise in verses 1, in verse 12, in verse 30. We should praise this God. And in verse 7, we have to sing with thanksgiving. So, is there a difference between praise and thanksgiving? I, I, I think from this psalm we can see a big difference. Praise would mean to adore, to commend, to celebrate someone for who that person is. Here in this psalm, praise would mean to adore, to commend, to acknowledge who this God is. The emphasis is on who God is. On the other hand, thanksgiving would mean to thank someone or to be grateful to someone for some gift or some good things we have received. So here in this psalm, thanksgiving would mean to be thankful and grateful to God for what He has done. The emphasis is on the deeds. So we just saw the psalmist explaining who this great God is. What is He doing? So should we praise Him or should we thank Him? I think we should be doing both. I think we need to have both responses, but... Our thankfulness to God should move and turn to praises to our God. Oftentimes we get caught up with things to that we receive from God. And we, get, and we get very sad and frustrated when we don't receive the answers to our prayers. We treat God as our satisfier of our needs. We treat God as the giver of whatever we want. It'd be a good job. It'd be a life partner whom we want, healing, satisfaction of our needs. 
Just imagine, when we receive our monthly paycheck, do we thank him? Or do we praise him? Yes, we do both. But, but just imagine, if we don't get the, our paycheck this month, and for some months on, would we still praise him? Would we still thank him? Would we be happy? Would we be comfortable? Would we be comforted knowing that God is the one who gave me this job? He's the one who gave, gives me this pay. He's going to take care of me. He will sustain me. Or would we be depressed, angry, frustrated? Here the psalmist is strongly encouraging and calling us out to praise his God, knowing that he is great and sovereign in good times and also in bad times. Look at the number of times the psalmist uses the word praise. He uses the word six times. And, and he uses the word thanksgiving just once. Therefore, the weight and emphasis is more on giving praises to God for who he is, whether it be goodness or suffering, knowing that he is great and powerful. It's not that the deeds of good doesn't matter. The deeds of God does matter, but it should point us more to who God is. We should not be caught up with the things we receive from God, the blessings we receive from God. We should turn it to praises. We should know better who this God is. And that's exactly what the psalmist is teaching us this morning. Look at this great God. This is what he's done. Praise him. Thank him. But praise him for who he is. How is your heart this morning? Are you caught up with things you receive from God or are you in awe of who God is? Or have you come to church because you have received a blessing? Or you are praying for a blessing to happen in your life? Or for some issues in life to be solved? Or are you coming to church because you realize the awesomeness and the greatness and the amazing work of this great God? How is your prayer life? Does thanking God for stuff take up most of your time? Or does praising God for who He is take most of your time? A true Christian who is truly thankful matures to praise God and treasure Him more than anything else this world can ever offer. Just coming back to the, the, the incident that I shared with you about our baby, after that, after that incident happened, the first reaction was we were thanking God. Thank you, Lord, for keeping him safe. But few minutes later, the thought that came into my mind was, what a great God he is. God was teaching me to not just thank me for what I'm doing, but see how great I am. I gave life to your baby, I sustain him. I gave life to you, I sustain you. I even give you new life in Christ. And we both were able to pray and we both were able to praise God. That is a big learning curve for us. How are you doing this morning? And that brings us to the attitude. So we need to praise God, thank God, but what is our heart? How is our heart in that? Our God is concerned with how we respond to Him. Come to verses 10 onwards. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor is pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His steadfast love. 
God is concerned about the condition of our hearts as we praise Him. And, and what is amazing is that God delights in us when we respond to Him with the right heart attitude. Fear means to be in awe of this great God, to have reverence for Him, to be amazed at how great He is. This fear is a positive fear that leads to joy, that leads to God being delighted. This, uh, this fear doesn't lead to pain and horror. God also wants us to hope in Him as we respond to Him. Hope here would mean to wait, to expect, to ultimately trust in God, knowing that He will keep His promises. The psalmist tells us to hope in His steadfast love. God is the Yahweh God. The word Lord in caps is a name of God, which means He is the covenant-keeping God. And that's what we saw. God made covenants with His people Israel. And we just now saw how he keeps his promise even when his people sinned against him. God keeps his promises by acting. Look at all the verbs in this psalm. He builds. He heals. He binds. He gives. God wants his covenant people to trust and hope in this great God knowing that God will surely keep his promise whether it be good times or bad times. And this delights God. The psalmist says, his delight, the Lord takes pleasure. What in the world means that God delighting? The creator, the ruler, the controller of this universe delighting in us? What does that mean? It's not mere happiness. It's more than mere happiness. It would mean to be pleased, thrilled, to be moved, to approve, to set affection Our words are not enough to explain God's delight. The things that delight us just doesn't delight God. We delight in strength, riches, power, splendor. But see what God delights in. Look at God. What delights Him is His people fearing and trusting Him to keep His promises. His delight is not in the strength of man and in the power, strength of horses. He delights his faithful children who trust in the faithfulness of God to take you through even the most toughest phase of your life. He pleases in our faith in him and not in our self-sufficiency. Just look at the Gospels. What was delighting Jesus, the Son of God? You saw it last week. The faith of the Syrophoenician woman. Her faith, true faith, genuine faith. Trust, that is what delighted Jesus. And he approved those faith. Great is your faith. That's what Jesus says. God requires us to be humble, meek, lowly in spirit as we respond to him. He wants us to be less of ourselves and more of God. More of our trust and dependence in God. That's what we see in verse 8. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. God delights, commands, approves, lifts up his children to peace, hope, power, eternal honor when they rely and trust in this great God to fulfill each of his promises. That is the delight of God. The creator, the controller, the amazing God delighting in us. A good question to ask our heart this morning is, does our lives 
bring pleasure to God? Or does the way how we approach sufferings in life bring delight to God? When all of a sudden your loved one passes away, or when you are searching for a job desperately and no doors seem to open, what will God say about your faith? When you really believe and when you really wish your unbelieving spouse to respond to the gospel, when you see your spouse constantly rejecting the gospel, you are in pain, you are depressed, what would God still say about your faith? Does your faith and trust in God delight Him when your financial constraints don't seem to go away? Would God approve and commend of your faith when the doctors has no clue about your sickness that has been troubling you for years? A true Christian is always mindful of whether God delights in his or her faith. God desires his children to praise him with fear, hope and humility. But are we, able, are we capable of responding to God with fear, trust and humility on our own? Never. We're not able to do it on our own. We need Jesus. It's only and only through Christ that we can know God and praise Him with our hearts. We are sinners born in our sins and who have sinned against the Holy God, condemned to die eternally. But God shows His mercy to us. Just like He showed mercy to His people Israel. He gave His people the word through which they can know God. But God gave us Christ through whom we can know God. God gave His people peace. But God gave us a Christ who Himself is our peace. God gave His people the finest of the wheat to eat and be fulfilled. But God gave us Christ who is the bread of life. God heals the brokenhearted and binds the wounds of His people. But Christ was broken, wounded, put to death and was raised to life again by God so that our hearts be healed. Oh church, we are here today to praise God and worship Him only because of who God is and what He has done for us through His Son Christ. Hence, we need to look to Jesus all the time. We now worship Him in this world with all our pains, our fallenness, our sinfulness, our weakness. But there's, there's a day coming soon when we, our life in this world will end. We will enter into eternal life with God in heaven. All our pains, all our tears will be wiped off. We will see our Lord face to face in all His glory, splendor, majesty. Over oh, the great day that is. They're groaning for that day. It's going to come soon. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for who you are and for what you are doing in our lives. You are great and powerful. Your wisdom has no limits. Help us to know you more and praise you by fearing and trusting you as we live in light of the eternity you have prepared for us. Amen. Please, let's all stand up and respond to God's word by singing 
never alone, and you are my hope.